0: Chapter fifty of A Hazard of New Fortunes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. In the cares which mrs March shared with her husband that night, she was supported partly by principle, but mainly by the potent excitement which bewildered Conrad's family and took all reality from what had happened. It was nearly midnight when the Marches left them and walked away toward the elevated station with Fulkerson everything had been done by that time that could be done and fulkerson was not without that satisfaction in the business-like dispatch of all the details which attends each step in such an affair and helps to make death tolerable even to the most sorely stricken we are creatures of the moment we live from one little space to another and only one interest at a time fills these fulkerson was cheerful when they got into the street almost gay and mrs march experienced a rebound from her depression which she felt she ought not to have experienced but she condoned the offence a little in herself because her husband remained so constant in his gravity and pending the final accounting he must make her for having been where he could be of so much use from the first instant of the calamity she was tenderly gratefully proud of all the use he had been to conrad's family and especially his miserable old father. To her mind, March was the principal actor in the whole affair, and much more important in having seen it than those who had suffered in it. In fact, he had suffered incomparably. "'Well, well,' said Fulkerson, "'they'll get along now. We've done all we could, and there's nothing left but for them to bear it. Of course it's awful, but I guess it'll come out all right. I mean,' he added, "'they'll pull through now.' i suppose said march that nothing is put on us that we can't bear but i should think he went on musingly that when god sees what we poor finite creatures can bear hemmed round with this eternal darkness of death he must respect us basil said his wife but in her heart she drew nearer to him for the words she thought she ought to rebuke him for oh i know he said we school ourselves to despise human nature but God did not make us despicable. And I say, whatever end he met us for, he must have some such thrill of joy in our adequacy to fate as a father feels when his son shows himself a man. When I think what we can be, if we must, I can't believe the least of us shall finally perish." "'Oh, I reckon the Almighty won't scoop any of us,' said Fulkerson, with a piety of his own. "'That poor boy's father!' sighed Mrs. March. "'I can't get his face out of my sight. "'He looked so much worse than death.' "'Oh, death doesn't look bad,' said March. "'It's life that looks so in its presence. "'Death is peace and pardon. "'I only wish poor old Lindau was as well out of it as Conrad there.' "'Ah, Lindau, he has done harm enough,' said Mrs. March. "'I hope he will be careful after this.' March did not try to defend Lindau against her theory of the case, which inexorably held him responsible for Conrad's death. Lindau's going to come out all right, I guess, said Fulkerson. He was first rate when I saw him at the hospital tonight. He whispered in March's ear, at a chance he got in mounting the station stairs. I didn't like to tell you there at the house, but I guess you'd better know. They had to take Lindau's arm off near the shoulder smashed all to pieces by the clubbing. In the house, vainly rich and foolishly unfit for them, the bereaved family whom the marches had just left lingered together, and tried to get strength to part for the night. They were all spent with the fatigue that comes from heaven to such misery as theirs, and they sat in a torpor in which each waited for the other to move, to speak. Christine moved, and Mela spoke. Christine rose and went out of the room without saying a word, and they heard her going upstairs. Then Mela said, I reckon the rest of us better be going too, father. Here, let's get mother started. She put her arm round her mother to lift her from her chair, but the old man did not stir, and Mela called Mrs. Mandel from the next room. Between them, they raised her to her feet. Ain't there anybody a-goin' to set up with it? she asked in her horse-pipe. It appears like folks hain't got any feelin's in New York. Won't some of the neighbors come and offer to set up without waitin' to be asked? Oh, that's all right, mother. The men'll attend to that. Don't you bother any, Mela coaxed. And she kept her arm round her mother with tender patience. Why, Maley, child, I can't feel right to have it left to hireland so. But there ain't anybody any more to see things done as they ought. "'If Conrad was only here—' "'Well, mother, you are pretty mixed,' said Mela, "'with a strong tendency to break into her large guffaw. "'But she checked herself and said, "'I know just how you feel, though. "'It keeps a-comin' and a-goin, "'and it's so, and it ain't so, all at once. "'That's the plague of it. "'Well, father, ain't you going to come?' "'I'm going to stay, Mela,' said the old man, gently, without moving. "'Get your mother to bed, that's a good girl.' "'You're going to set up with him, Jacob?' asked the old woman. "'Yes, Elizabeth, I'll set up. You go to bed.' "'Well, I will, Jacob, and I believe it'll do you good to set up. I wished I could set up with you, but I don't seem to have the strength I did when the twins died. I must get my sleep so's to—' "'I don't like very well to have you broke of your rest, Jacob, but there don't appear to be anybody else. You wouldn't have to do it if Conrad was here.' there i go again mercy mercy well do come along then mother said mela and she got her out of the room with mrs mandel's help and up the stairs from the top the old woman called down you tell conrad she stopped and he heard her groan out my lord my lord he sat one silence in the dark room where they had all lingered together and in the library beyond the hireling watcher sat another silence the time passed but neither moved and the last noise in the house ceased so that they heard each other breathe and the vague remote rumour of the city invaded the inner stillness it grew louder toward morning and then dryfoos knew from the watcher's deeper breathing that he had fallen into a doze he crept by him to the drawing-room where his son was The place was full of the awful sweetness of the flowers that Fulkerson had brought and that lay above the pulseless breast. The old man turned up a burner in the chandelier and stood looking on the majestic serenity of the dead face. He could not move when he saw his wife coming down the stairway in the hall. She was in her long white flannel bedgown, and the candle she carried shook with her nervous tremor. He thought she might be walking in her sleep. But she said, quite simply, I woke up and I couldn't get to sleep again without coming to have a look. She stood beside their dead son with him. Well, he's beautiful, Jacob. He was the prettiest baby. And he was always good, Conrad was. I'll say that for him. I don't believe he ever gave me a minute's care in his whole life. I reckon I liked him about the best of all the children. But I don't know as I ever done much to show it but you was always good to him, Jacob. You always done the best for him, ever since he was a little feller. I used to be afraid you'd spoil him sometimes in them days, but I guess you're glad now for every time you didn't cross him. I don't suppose since the twins died you ever hit him a lick?' She stooped and peered closer at the face. "'Why, Jacob, what's that by his poor eye?' Dryfus saw it, too, the wound that he had feared to look for, and that now seemed to redden on his sight. He broke into a low, wavering cry, like a child's in despair, like an animal's in terror, like a soul's in the anguish of remorse. End of chapter 50